Welcome to Voices in Health Law, the podcast of the American Bar Association's Health Law Section. I'm your host, Stephanie Dorville, and my guest today is Andrew Mahler, Vice President, Privacy and Compliance at Clearwater. Welcome, Andrew. Thanks, Stephanie. It's great to be here. Great to be talking with you. So Clearwater, I'm not sure if many of our listeners are familiar with it. So could you tell our listeners about Clearwater and your career path that led you there? Oh, sure. Yeah, happy to. So Clearwater is a leading cybersecurity and, and compliance consulting firm. We've been around for many years and serve our clients in a, in a variety of services related to compliance efforts, cybersecurity, data privacy, data protection, and, and so forth, primarily within the health field. I really started my career you know, in this world as, a, as an investigator for the Office for Civil Rights and really enjoyed my time there. Had opportunities to work on a, a lot of cases involving, you know, of course, security issues, privacy issues, breach notification, and, and some civil rights issues. And while I was there, you know, we, we were able to, to do some very interesting work, particularly leading up to the 2013 omnibus rule, and was able to work on some larger, uh, larger resolution agreements while I was there. Afterwards, I left and I went to the University of Arizona and, and worked with its affiliated health system and built the university's privacy program and also worked investigating you know, issues of research, you know, non-compliance and, and other sorts of research compliance issues and, and efforts. And then I joined Synergistech in 2016. Synergistech is, has a very similar mission to Clearwater, and we were acquired in September by Clearwater, and it's been, it's been a lot of fun getting to know, you know some of the new colleagues and, and building out programs here. That's awesome. And thanks for going through that career path. I think a lot of folks, especially our younger listeners or newer listeners within the health law field are really, you know, trying to understand, you know, where people can have their career path lead them in the cybersecurity industry. So I've been at the government and in the private sector. So at the government, you were at HHS, Office of Civil Rights, and in the private sector at a university as well as at Clearwater. So based on your experience, do you think that the public and private sector are in alignment on how to best approach privacy or at odds? Yeah, it's a good question. I don't know that anybody is in alignment on this issue. You know, I can say that thinking about my work uh, at, at Arizona, which actually was more public focused, you know, they were the university and, and the health system, which, which later became Banner Health, you know, really trying to do the right thing uh, when it, as it related to, to compliance efforts, but that you just don't have a lot of money, right? So in the public sector, don't tend to have as much money to spend on, on compliance efforts. There's lots of other needs and issues that senior leadership is focused on. And, and so it's really important for those that are in, you know, whether you're general counsel or, or you're in a compliance role, that you're able to advocate for the importance uh, of these compliance efforts, because it's, I think it's hard sometimes for people in the public sector in particular to, to justify some of the spending uh, around compliance, because they they don't see it as a as a revenue generator. Uh, they see it as, as something that's preventative. And I think Probably those of you listening, and, and I think certainly, you know, Stephanie, we've got an appreciation for the risks around what happens if somebody doesn't have good practices in place, but it can be hard to justify sometimes in the public, uh, within public entities. And then what will we see with many of our private entity clients and customers? It's not that they necessarily have all the money in the world to spend on this either. They're doing operational and, and business risk evaluation every day when they're thinking about budgets and, and financial constrictions. 
but I will say that there tends to be, you know, on average, a bit more money and a bit more ability to spend on, on some of the mandates around making sure that people's data is, is protected and secure. Yeah, I mean, the struggle of justifying your cost center, whether it's a legal or compliance department, again, as a way to preserve revenue is always a challenge in, right. in companies. So we've seen a lot of whiplash related to privacy policy. So what I mean by that is when privacy policy goes in one direction, there may be a backlash in response by those affected by the policy change. Some examples that I'm thinking of relate to the pandemic with vaccine mandates, secondary uses of PHI and data analytics ventures to explore AI clinical decision support tools. And most recently, I've seen that with respect to concerns about law enforcement access to reproductive health services data after the overturn of Roe versus Wade. What do you think needs to happen in the next five to 10 years in the privacy and security industry to mitigate these competing interests that privacy policy developments tend to surface? Yeah, there are certainly a lot of challenges and, and discussions and, and I'd even say arguments that are happening around the future of data privacy and data protection, as well as even just current state, right? And, you know, I don't know that anybody knows exactly what the future holds, but we can look to a few different issues and areas to maybe get a sense of where things might be heading. And I think for a long time, people in the U.S. have looked toward GDPR as something that is possible in the U.S., if not maybe even inevitable. Of course, we've seen now four states this year will be implementing data privacy and protection rules that are somewhat modeled after GDPR. And I think an important thing to note here, and others have, have made this point too, is, is that when you think about a rule or a law like GDPR and, and some of the differences that you see between GDPR and, and even HIPAA, for example, is that you see this movement you know, recently towards a individual rights approach to data privacy and protection as opposed to a harm approach. So I think in the past and, and you know, even currently within the US in particular, we've got a, we've got a focus on the harm. That's where our, our current focus is. So is somebody being, their data being manipulated? Is it being breached? Is there an incident involving their data? Is it being protected appropriately? What's the hurt here? As opposed to, we're required to provide certain rights to people, but not only are we required to, it's, we actually see it as a human right. You know, we see some of these requests around, you know, your own personal data and your desire to control data as a true right. And so I think that if I'm thinking optimistically, perhaps the direction that we're moving is more in that line of thinking. And I guess I say optimistically because, you know, not only would that provide essentially potentially greater protections for people, but it may also make some of these discussions a little easier. I think some of the confusion that we saw, especially in the early stages of the pandemic around, you know, what does HIPAA protect? versus what doesn't HIPAA protect. There's a lot of confusion about how these different laws apply in different sectors, right? We've got rules and laws that really have historically allowed businesses in particular to collect lots of data. And then on the back half, have sort of come back around and said, well, in certain specific sectors, we're going to force these businesses to mitigate, mitigate harmful effects, which is a little bit of a, certainly a different approach than what we're seeing with some of these new rules and laws that are popping up. Definitely. I identify with your optimistic approach to predicting the future of privacy. I mean, 
in, you know, in the US, our approach to privacy is so different from Europe and only now are the states seemingly getting closer and closer to the European approach or the EU's approach to privacy. So it's gonna be interesting over the next five to 10 years to see what happens. Yeah, I think we talk, I'm sure you, you've, you've run into these same conversations, but I think some people are optimistic and you know we can look at, at things like AI technology and we can think about, okay, well, could AI, can this and is this helping to, to manipulate data in a way that, that protects people in better ways than, than we currently have? Are there ways to, for websites and other apps, certain public facing uh, systems are they able to track people in a way that doesn't really violate anybody's specific privacy or their data? And so I think there's things to think about from a technological perspective in particular, and then from a policy perspective, things could maybe get easier. Things could maybe get better and more simplified. But on the other hand, we may have another decade of patchwork of states and legislatures wobbling over who can, can collect and disclose certain types of data. I think there's, there's still a big, a big question mark there. I would find that painful if we were to go through another five to 10 years of these patchwork of state laws, but sometimes we got to do things the hard way, unfortunately. So on that note, do you think that organizations that handle personal data and particularly organizations in the healthcare industry are prepared to make these changes or have the wherewithal to figure out how to reconcile a patchwork of state laws or get more savvy on privacy policy? So I think like with lots of, you know, lots of areas, there's, there's issues around equity. And, and I think, you know, certainly those healthcare organizations that are larger, maybe have been around for longer, have financial resources, I think they're going to be in very good positions. I mean, some of them may already be, be there. And I know some, you know, there are some clients that we have, there thinking years ahead, or at least trying to predict the future and making changes to their privacy policies and, and their systems based on that. And then we, of course, we have others that are still trying to wrap their minds around laws outside of HIPAA. Uh, so you mentioned state laws, and we do a good bit of work around helping them think beyond HIPAA as it relates to, to rules and, and laws and regulations that apply to certain types of data. I guess one thing that I think is probably worth highlighting here is when I think when a lot of people think about healthcare organizations and, and you think about, well, are, are healthcare organizations equipped to be able to make these changes? I think really what we need to be asking is, well, what, what kind of healthcare organizations? I think about the proliferation of telemedicine, uh, for example, particularly, again, you know, coming out of the pandemic, see lots of new entities and, and people and organizations showing up on the internet and providing different types of services. And, you know, as I think you probably know, and as many people listening, it's, it, it, it can be a little complicated when you're thinking about how a telemedicine provider operates versus some other traditional providers. And, you know, in general, why there likely will be HIPAA obligations and requirements and state law requirements, people are finding interesting and creative ways to try to, to skirt those rules. And, I think in those situations, they're not equipped for the future, particularly if we start to see ramping up of enforcement effort, like we sort of have with FTC, you know, some of the, the recent uh, report from the FTC and the guidance, as well as what we, I think, can predict in terms of some enforcement activity from OCR coming out of the tracking technologies guidance. It's great that you mentioned the FTC because 
like you said, some of these government organizations are going to have to get more creative or more involved in the enforcement mechanisms related to privacy and security because we don't have traditional covered entities always involved in handling protected health information or just information that is personal but not covered by HIPAA. So what beliefs do the government need to let go of to <laughs> be more nimble in enforcement and privacy? I think we are going to need addition. We're going to need support and activity by at the federal and, and state enforcement level. I mean, I think people need to understand the importance of these issues. And unfortunately, one of the best ways to do that is to have inquiry or investigation or enforcement action where somebody's you know coming in and, and taking a look at your books and, and your processes. Of course, that comes with funding and, and lots of other things that I think we as people are going to have hard discussions about. I do think in terms of just beliefs, maybe more generically, um, you know, we were talking earlier about the difference between the, you know, sort of an approach that that really revolves around whether or not something is harmful to a person versus an approach where you're you're seeing a person, you're seeing a patient as somebody who has the right to control and certain data about them. I do think that there's a, a strong likelihood that we could be moving in that direction. I think we're certainly seeing it in, in California and some of these other state laws, at least more of an emphasis on that. And so I think from a belief perspective, I think we're going to be challenged to, to start thinking about whether or not we believe that people should have control and rights over their data, ultimately, whether we believe that the harm doesn't really matter if there's been a disclosure, what really matters is making sure that person is ultimately responsible for their data. And, and I think a reason for this, I know you've, you've mentioned private and public sectors and, and some of the distinctions there. I mean, there's, there's just so many different entities and, and, you know, that are doing different types of things with different types of data. And as we've traditionally approached it around this kind of harms perspective and around, you know, sort of an industry specific perspective. So it's like healthcare and, and financial data and education data. I think we're going to be challenged to start thinking about data holistically about people that we're collecting. And I'm sort of already, you know, trying to encourage people to think a bit beyond, if you're a healthcare provider, for example, thinking beyond PHI and, and, and thinking about other types of data you're collecting and storing. I agree that a holistic approach is probably the best step or best move forward in the privacy and security enforcement realm and even in the regulation realm. So what are your thoughts on particular challenges that healthcare organizations that employ providers who they may eventually treat as patients have vis-a-vis -vis privacy? I always find that it's even harder to help organizations that are not only treating patients, but also potentially treating their employers as patients. So would love your thoughts on that and how complicated those things are going to get going forward with the new privacy regime. Sure. So I think, you know, we can sort of approach it a couple of different directions. You know, one, we can take the, I guess I'm just thinking operationally and, and legally, we can take the position that, you know, an organization is only required to do certain things with certain types of data. And the other types of data that, that are exempt from those rules and laws are truly exempt. And so we're, we're going to essentially protect and, and do what we need to do with PHI or, or with other types of data that may have to be protected or secured under, under other laws. But other data we collect, you know, we don't have any obligations, so we're, we're not going to pretend like we do, and we're going to use that data as we need for our businesses. 
That's not necessarily a wrong approach. That's just a approach. You know, another approach, which I, I think is, is an, an approach that at least I'm seeing some of our maybe particularly more advanced clients looking towards is, is really looking at, at all of the data they're collecting and, and really starting to get a handle on the different types of data, having really good data mapping processes in place, having really good data classification processes in place so that you're taking a more holistic look at, at what you're collecting and storing about people. I probably would be remiss too if I didn't mention 21st Century Cures Act as well. And I know that as we're thinking about, you know, okay, wh what what sort of data are we collecting about, you know, people that that are or could be patients? I think it's really vital that providers are, are also thinking about some of the distinctions that may exist between what maybe they were permitted to do under HIPAA that they are not allowed to do any longer related to, to certain types of disclosures under the 21st Century Cures Act. So I think it ultimately is a question of legality and risk. And I think some organizations are going to take the approach that we're going to, we're going to focus on being compliant and nothing more. And other organizations will take a different path. And I think we'll sort of see over the years how those conversations play out, whether or not there's additional spend through lawsuits and, and so forth, uh, you know, through one or the other model. And hopefully we'll see other models pop up as well that maybe help help people better understand how their data is being, being used and, and managed and, and disclosed downstream. Definitely. And I think that employees of healthcare organizations in particular have a particularly challenging Task because individuals, they're given, like you said, a basket of rights, or they are the stewards of their own data for the most part, but some of that data under HIPAA might be protected in one way. In the, in the 21st Century Cures Act, it guarantees access to exchange of that information in another way. But then there are these other privacy laws that impose certain restrictions on the sharing of that data and having an approach that clearly demarcates what data is covered by what types of laws. And, and that may depend on where the data is stored. That may be, that may depend on how it was collected, you know, whether it's from an Apple Watch or from your healthcare encounters. And that can get really dicey, <laughs> honestly. It can. I mean, it, it can. And I, I, you know, that's, that's a world that I live in is, is a world around risk, right? And so it's a world where people are thinking, they initially will be thinking about, okay, how do we meet our compliance requirements? And then along that journey, that discussion, we'll start talking about, you know, other risks that are out there. So for example, I mean, you mentioned employment data. Another example is, is research data. I mean, there's, there's lots of different types of data that, that a healthcare organization may be maintaining about people. And again, you, you may take the approach that we're going to protect some and not others, but does that create some risk? Does it create risk if a, if a participant in a clinical trial has their information acquired? And, and the answer to them is, well, you know, sorry, but we don't really have any requirements other than we reported to the IRB and, and they're managing it. This isn't covered by HIPAA. It's not covered by other laws. And, and so I'm sorry about that. Does that raise risks and, and potential litigation risks? I think we've, we've already seen that happen. And so I think you're asking really good questions. And it's like I said, I, I think there's not really necessarily a right way to do it. I mean, certainly we want to make sure that our clients and, and others and, and our 
our organizations are meeting compliance efforts, meeting at least the letter of the law. Uh, but whether or not we can we go above and beyond is you know a question of risk and, and resources. That is why so many healthcare organizations and covered entities need to consult with lawyers, outside counsel, or con compliance consultants like Clearwater to figure out what those risks are, you know, what their goals are with respect to privacy and security. So thank you so much, Andrew, for providing your expertise today. And thank you to all of you listening to this Voices in Health Law podcast episode. And now a word from our sponsor. The Health Law Section would like to thank our premier sponsors for making today's podcast possible. Five-star premier sponsor, AAA, four-star premier sponsors, BRG and BMG Health, and three-star premier sponsors, Pinnacle Health.